0: I thought about you know uh, whether or not how long the introduction should be to First Peter or First Timothy. You're like First Peter. Oh, <laughs> we're already switching books. First uh, First P- Timothy, uh, but I don't want to do a full blown intro. Very small intro because I'm going to introduce instead of doing a whole message on you know basically the introduction to First Timothy. I'd rather I'm like a lot of times you do introductions and they're lengthy. You know, you aren't able necessarily to search the scriptures as much and be challenged as much. So I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spread the introduction of 1 Timothy through the first few messages or so. Give you just little tidbits here and there. By the time you're done, you'll have an introduction to Timothy because his name, uh, you know, when he actually comes up, uh, we'll talk about Timothy himself a bit and so forth. But I want to almost like look at, you know, the letter as it unfolds, as they would read it. And then, you know, we'll talk about the circumstances and so forth to a degree. But I want you to leave, you know, here encouraged. I want you to leave strengthened and so forth. And Timothy is an incredible book because Paul is writing to a young man in the faith. So it relates a lot to and encourages those who are young in their faith, you know. And he wasn't necessarily young in his personal faith, but he was kind of because he was a young guy. Uh, At the same time, he's a leader, so it's also a very encouraging letter for those who ought to be leaders. And all of us are called to lead in some way. In fact, Timothy talks about, uh, Paul tells Timothy, you know, uh, he tells all Christians to follow me as he follows Christ, amen? And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, what I've shared with you, what I've, how he's discipled him, how he's stretched him, how he's sought to get him to grow, that Timothy is supposed to share with other good men that they might share with still others, amen? So... The Lord, in making disciples, Jesus said, after a disciple is fully formed, he will look like his master. And that's pretty awesome because we follow Paul as he followed Christ. We follow Jesus, amen, as we follow and are encouraged by the examples of others who are in the word, who are living their lives and so forth for Jesus. We will look more and more like them, but we want to follow them as they follow Christ. He didn't say follow me in every detail of my life. Because Paul wasn't perfect. They said, Follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. So each of us should be leaders to one degree or another. If you're a parent, you are de facto a leader, whether you're leading them toward Jesus or away from Jesus. And all of us are to be leaders to one degree or another. So I really thought, and I've been praying about it, I thought, wow, with all these live stream groups popping up that are related to Blessed Hope Chapel, and we praise the Lord for our live stream groups. Uh, I thought, wow, it'd be really good to go through First Timothy because Timothy is not only going to help us, but it'll help every church, including us, amen, here, uh, in regard to leadership in what God calls us to be. Whether you're leading people by way of example, whether you're leading children as a parent, whether you're leading people in their Christian walks, but it has a lot to do with being mature men and women of God, has instructions for both men and women in here, and uh, most of the instructions specifically toward all believers, male or female, and as to what it means to be a mature believer, even when he gives in First, First Timothy chapter 3 the qualifications for elders. Elders, when you look at the qualifications, they are just mature men of God, except perhaps having or looks like they have the gift to teach. Deacons don't have to have the gift to teach, but they, it's the same basic. So we're all called to grow into the image of Christ. And I thought, wow. And it's pretty pretty cool because Paul is telling Timothy, who is already somewhat mature in his faith, but needs to be strengthened. He's warned, you know, not to be timid, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. If you didn't hear the last message, I encourage you to uh, listen to that uh, last Sunday message. It was uh, baptism of boldness and how God will give, wants to give us boldness and wants us to be bold in these last days. I got a lot of texts from that message, not realize how many would impact people. Someone just, I just read a text just a little bit ago that said, man, I've listened to this message two times. I'm so encouraged by it. Someone that's not in part of the assembly here. And, and I got a, a message from a, a beautiful brother who just doesn't attend Blessed Hope anymore. lived here for a little while. Moved him, his wife moved. I didn't even know he was still listening, but he's like, and I got a text from him a few weeks back and another one that he's really blessed by the messages, uh, by this last message specifically, really hit him on boldness. And Timothy did to have greater boldness. And that's why it made me think of that, man, you know what? That's kind of interesting that I just preached on boldness because Timothy was told that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He was being stretched. And I love it because Paul's letter to Timothy stretches him In his first letter. He's left him at the church at Ephesus. He's a young man, as I said. He was born to, uh, his his dad was Greek. His mom and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, were uh, awesome women in the faith who had brought him up to know the scriptures uh, before, you know, uh, I mean, you're talking about when he was young, and then Paul led him to faith. And I'm getting already into some introductory type stuff I didn't say I wouldn't have any. I'd say little tidbits, right? Each message, I have little tidbits of introductory uh, comments and stuff. So I want to give you at least that. He's writing to Timothy to set the church in order. You know, in 1 Timothy 3.15, he says, These are the instructions I give to you so you might know how to set the church in order and how the church is to be governed. I'm paraphrasing that. We'll look at that later. And he says in verse 3 that uh, he set him there at, at Ephesus and that he's writing to Timothy in Ephesus that he would make sure people weren't teaching false doctrines. There's a lot to be said about that when we get to that verse because Ephesus was more, more letters in the New Testament written to Ephesus than anybody else. First and second and third John. The book of Revelation has one of the churches is the church at Ephesus. Amen? Right here, first and second Timothy, you know? Uh, and you could just, I mean, the book of Ephesians, Right? <laughs> So it's pretty amazing, and that became after, uh, especially the fall of Jerusalem, uh, the, a lot of the church leadership had been located at, the tr- at Ephesus. And that was a very, you know, that was a hub where God needed to protect the word there. So there's a lot of important things that I'm, I'm, I'm going to say a lot more than I plan on saying, so i got to stop right now as far as introductory notes, but it's an exciting book. But I really wanted to make sure we got into at least uh, the first verse, right? So First Timothy uh, chapter 1 and... Verse 1, Paul, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, who the Lord converted on the road to Damascus when Paul was going about his business as a zealous Pharisee, a leading Jew, going house to house with letters from the leaders of, you know, the Pharisaical leaders, uh, demanding that Christians deny their faith, having them dragged out of their houses. Stephen was stoned to death right before him, and he didn't deny his faith. Remember that in Acts chapter 7? And he put his, they put his, Stephen's clothes at Paul's feet before they stoned Stephen to death. The apostle Paul, before his Paul, was the murderous, raving Pharisee named Saul. And he's had this radical conversion when Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. And uh, he's now an apostle from the Greek word apostolos, which means sent one. Okay, he's sent one, specifically a sent one. There were 12 specific apostles that Jesus called uh, then Paul is called an apostle that's born out of due time. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, there are apostles with a small a uh, that are mentioned beyond the 12 because the word isn't necessarily a designation. When you see the word apostolos in the Greek, it simply means sent one. And when it's used of the 12, and then Paul as the one born out of due time, it's talking about apostles that are given gifts to do signs and wonders, to confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who had seen the Lord, All the apostles had seen the Lord. Even Paul had seen him on the road to Damascus and so forth. Uh, But Paul wasn't one of the 12. He was one born out of due time. So you have Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, when it says Christ Jesus, some might say, why sometimes they have Jesus' first name first and last like normal, but sometimes it puts his last name first? Because it's not his first and last name, amen? A lot of people think Jesus Christ is... And, you know, when we are talking to non-believers or people that aren't really conversant with Scripture, we're talking another language sometimes. It's hard to follow us. So we've got to be careful to define what we're talking about. Even if you talk about the Apostle Paul. These days, somebody might look at you across that apostle. They don't hear the word apostle on social media. They don't hear the word apostle on the CNN and MSNBC, you know. They don't hear truth on those stations either. But they don't hear the word apostle. Uh, so when you see Christ Jesus, Christ is from uh, uh, basically... Uh, Mashiach in the Hebrew is where we get the word Messiah and Christos was the Greek uh, of Mashiach uh, Christ means the anointed one he's the anointed promised Messiah Jesus is the name that was given by the angel when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and uh, Jesus the Hebrew is Yeshua the Greek is Jesus The, the English is Jesus and it means God is our Savior amen he is God he is the Savior so Paul an apostle Paul, an apostolus of Christos, Iesus, Jesus, Jesus, or Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God. Paul is an apostle, not like a lot of these people in the new apostolic reformation today. Whether it's at Reading, uh, where they have this counterfeit revival going on, or elsewhere, where they claim to be apostles or they call each other apostles and claim that they should have authority over churches because they are the new apostles, which. Paul warns about counterfeit apostles uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, he says, no wonder for Satan himself has transformed himself into an angel of light for, no wonder for, his, you know, his, his ministers transformed themselves into ministers of righteousness, and he calls them false apostles in that chapter, and these things are written in the Old Testament for those in the New Testament times, but things that were written in the New Testament weren't only for them, but are also for us, amen, and we're supposed to draw lines to test those who say they're apostles. In Revelation chapter 2, it talks about uh, the church at Ephesus, how they tested those who said they were apostles and were not and found them liars, right? And so forth. And they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans and so forth. And they're commended for that. Uh, so we need to make sure we test everything. And Paul was an apostle by the commandment of God, he was called by God. When somebody comes up to you and tells you, Hi, my name is Tim and I'm the prophet. Right away, I suspect him is not a prophet. Man comes up to me and says, hey, my name is, you know, Bill Johnson, and I'm an apostle. Right away, I know you are probably not an apostle. With Bill Johnson, I know he's not, okay? So, uh, uh, because, you know, God's apostles were known by the miracles that God had done through them, uh, the, having seen the resurrected Christ, amen? Paul says, do, we not have, do I not have the signs of an apostle? And so forth. And uh, they were verified by the other apostles in the first century. Now, so Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. God is our Savior, amen? Amen. And, And it says God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, okay? So already Christ Jesus, Jesus, our Messiah, is mentioned twice in the first verse, amen? Who is our what? what's the very end of that verse? God's our savior. He saves us. Amen. How does he save us? Through his son, Jesus Christ, who is our what? Hope. He is our hope. Amen. And I wanted to possibly go through two verses today. There'll be times where we cover more than one verse, but I couldn't stop on verse one because I was just, just the fact that he is our hope. Okay. It's so awesome. And the, we need hope right now. Amen. And One of the things you're going to hear me talking about over and over again through this series to encourage you is is over and over again tying in 1 Timothy chapter 1 into not only our walks as disciples, as Christians, amen, but as to how we should be encouraged in Paul's word, who was one of the most radical leaders that ever lived, amen, telling Timothy how to be a leader, hence how we're to lead better, amen, by way of example, as parents in the community, amen. And so forth. So it's important that we get this down. And one thing a leader does is he communicates and encourages hope. Hope in the midst of what seem to be times of hopelessness and despair. Right now the world is reeling, right? Many people are fearful that there's going to be a nuclear war. Many are concerned because Putin and Russia... They're not sure if he's trying to just take Ukraine, which is bad enough, or if he wants more. And he wants to build the former Soviet Union, even beyond all the nations that they let go of uh, after the Cold War. If he wants to expand even not just those nations and gather those nations, but go further and you know reinstitute the Russian Empire. And right now, I just read today that Finland is... Uh, there was like maybe 20% of them were, were polled and they wanted to join NATO. It was either 10 or 20%. It was a small percent, no more than 20. About 20% wanted to, re- wanted to join NATO, the National uh, Athlet- Atlantic Treaty Organization, uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization there. And uh, because a bunch of nations, including us, are part of that, so if any of those nations get attacked by Russia or another China or whoever, they would join together and and defend them, even if it took nuclear weapons. And Finland is like, "Uh uh-oh, now they just did another vote, and they're 60%. It wasn't an official vote, but the 60% of the people polled said, yeah, we want to join, you know. Uh, Putin is saying we've gone in there because we don't want Ukraine to join NATO, because we want to, uh, we don't want nuclear weapons that, you know, we don't want a NATO-aligned Ukraine on our border however keep in mind which i've tried to remind you before under bill clinton uh bill clinton and the uk with bill clinton and with russia <laughs> the three of them talked ukraine who had over 5000 almost as many nuclear weapons as russia has right now they had over 5000 nuclear weapons ukraine did and we encouraged them to give them up and give them to russia and don't worry, if you give them to Russia, we'll protect you if Russia ever invades you. There's a lot more to this story than you're aware of, okay? And uh, I'm not saying what the United States should do. I am just think it's very, very sad, very, very interesting. And on one hand, you have Putin, who I believe uh, is, has a huge ego. I mean, he lives, I mean, I think last I saw he was on this huge cruise liner, you know. Uh, he has the biggest house in the world. And they don't think Putin's this good guy, okay? Some people oh, well, maybe Putin's a good guy. No, no, no. Putin's not a good guy, okay? Uh, But also don't think that the New World Order that Biden just talked about, how the world's going to be formed and do this New World Order, and we're going to lead it, that that, that's good either, amen? Because they're trying to export the New World Order, and their ideas are very anti-Christ often, amen? Well, who's who's side you're for? I'm for Jesus, man. I'm his ambassador, you're his ambassador, he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that's who we follow, that's who we put our trust in, amen? Okay, our hope isn't in this world. So uh, there's a lot of concern as to where all this is going and if you're in Ukraine, you know, it's sad, it's really sad. We've been in touch with Ted Walker and we are trying to help in certain ways. Prayer is huge, amen? The church is also sending $2,000 through Ted Walker to a church outside of Ukraine in Poland, which is helping the refugees at Evangelical Church, and we just don't want to send money to anybody. You know where it goes, but we want to go through brothers and sisters that are, you know, love the Lord, like-minded, that are helping the actual people on the ground. They're helping the refugees and so forth. So know that you're helping uh, in more ways than just praying, which praying is very important. But people need hope. People need hope. And the, world, the way, way the world defines hope is different than the church defines hope. So if you're a newer Christian, you might think, oh, hope. Yeah, we need some kind of hope, you know. And the way the world defines hope is far different than the way Christians define hope. The word, when the world uses the word hope, it's like maybe, you know, maybe, this, maybe I won the lottery. Hope I will, right? But there's not a sense of certainty, is there? It's a maybe often when the world talks about hope. That's not biblical hope. Hope is based on certainty and the expectation of something that will take place in the future based on God's word and his promises. And so when we talk about hope, we're not talking about hope in the worldly sense, you know? And sometimes people could have strong hope because they're just, they just are very optimistic, you know? And like the little boy I read about who uh, was playing, you know, a baseball and uh, an older man was watching the game a little bit, and he was like, wow, because these little boys look like they're whooped. He goes, hey, what's the score? And the boy said, 18-0, and we're behind. He goes, yeah, I bet you're really discouraged, huh? He goes, I'm not discouraged. We haven't even been up to bat yet. So, you know, he was—he had some hope that when we get up to bat, man, watch what we could do, you know? And the thing is, that's how the world kind of looks at hope. They're like, maybe this will happen. But that's not the biblical hope. So when you it's important and, and the more you understand how the Bible defines hope is you get into God's word. And it's, it's based on the reality of God's promises. It's not, you know, having the uncertainty of, an, of attainment of something in the future and not being sure like, a lot, like winning the lottery. Uh, Webster's defines hope, and this is the worldly version of hope. Hope implies little certainty, but suggests confidence or assurance in the possibility that one, what one desires or longs for will happen okay? That's not the New Testament definition of hope. Uh, The New Testament defines hope. This is from Baker Evangelical Dictionary, quote, to trust in, wait for, look for, or desire something or someone, or to expect something beneficial in the future, to have an expectation, you know? Uh, I wrote my own little definition of it. Biblical hope is that the God who has acted in the past and kept his word in the past is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and without fail will keep every one of his promises he's made to us regarding the future, okay? That's more of, a, that's more of the biblical hope. But you see, the world loses hope based on circumstances. Uh, I don't have time to get in the background, but in Acts chapter 27, uh, Paul's on a mission trip, and he encourages them not to set sail when they do, but he goes with them because, and guess what? The ship runs aground, and it's sinking. And in Acts chapter 27, verse 20, it says, Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. So he's talking about those that were on the ship, the sailors, experienced sailors. Can you imagine days and the freezing cold and and there's no sun or you can't even see the sun it's so stormy and overcast for days uh well guess what things change a little bit they were slowly abandoning hope but in verse 31 uh paul said to the centurion soldiers well i don't want to skip ahead too much let me back up to verse 22 through 24 listen to what happens here yet now paul says i urge you to keep up your courage because they were losing hope right for there will be no loss of life among you but only the ship wow for this very night for this very night an angel of god to whom i belong and whom i serve stood before me saying do not be afraid paul you must stand before caesar and behold god has granted you all those who are sailing with you wow that's pretty awesome so paul based on how he'd already been delivered we're in acts 27 at this point right his faith had grown God spoke to him, and his hope, right, is mixed with courage based on the fact that he knows the God who's acted in the past, amen. He knows that he could trust his word. And it's interesting because in verse 31, we read, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, quote, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. So they're given a promise that what? They'll be saved, amen, amen but they're told they just have to meet the condition and stay in the ship. Kind of like how our salvation works, right? We're told that we're going to be saved. We're just told to cling to Jesus, amen, in faith. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I love it. It's a, great, uh, it's a great picture of the security that we have in Christ. We're given promises. We're just told to abide in Christ, amen, and, he'll, and he saves us, and it's appropriate because the word Savior just jumps out at me. God, our Savior, right, and Christ Jesus twice, our hope is based on the fact that the creator of the universe is our God, and he's a savior. He saves us through Christ Jesus, Yeshua the Mashiach, right? He, saves, he saves the Christos, the Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. He saves us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we've got this wonderful hope. And at 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, This time I meant to say 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. Amen? Because we don't trust in dead idols. Amen? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope because he lives, we're told, we will live also by Jesus. amen? Amen? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith. For our salvation be ready to be revealed at the last time. Before we were saved, we had no hope. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 describes where we were before we got saved. Okay, and it's a pretty interesting passage. It says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you formerly were far off, have been, you are formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, amen? And as believers, we're told that we have a a very important responsibility later by Peter in 1 Peter 3.15, quote, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, amen? So we're supposed to give an account as to what the hope is that we have. So we ought to be able to describe what hope is if we're gonna even account for it. And he doesn't say, you pastors, you elders and deacons. No, Peter is writing to all believers that we have a responsibility to give an account for the hope that's in us. Well, what's the hope that's in us? Well, I just that's in first Peter three fifteen, but we just read in first Peter chapter one. We have hope in Christ through his resurrection, amen. So we know that because he lives, we will live. Because he's promised that, uh, to give us life, because this is part of his plan. And because all these other prophecies are being fulfilled, and these other prophecies are now being fulfilled, right? We're watching be fulfilled before our very eyes. So we have great hope. We have great hope. Amen. And you know, it's interesting because when they were on the ship, they couldn't see any light from the stars. They couldn't see the sun. It was just so dark. Yet if a man is in a tunnel and he's trying to get out of a tunnel, he has no hope until he sees the light at the end of the tunnel, right? But we, have, we see as believers light at the end of the tunnel, amen? The day star has risen from the dead. And his words, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We have the light in the tunnel. His word, amen? It's at least the light that's outside the tunnel. But the light outside the tunnel, Christ, it lights the heart of everyone who comes to the world. He's also in the tunnel, Amen? So we can experience him, we can trust his word. It's like the person on the ship who's seasick and, and stranded and then they see the horizon and we, we see the horizon. We see the kingdom shore, amen? So we have hope because of Christ. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, we've talked about the importance of Christ's resurrection. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. We don't follow Jesus because we just have hope in this life. Live your best life now. Joel Olstein's book, right? No, our best life is later, amen? I mean, our God's way too big to make this our best life, right? I mean, I'm looking for a place where there's no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more mourning, amen? There's access to the tree of life, which has 12 different types of fruit on it, one different type each month of the year, amen? We're looking forward to that, amen? So it's important that we have hope. There were studies done on concentration camps and those who died and those who survived when they faced the same circumstances. And they found that those who had hope, whether it was from just a little bit of water or some crumbs or the promise of some food coming, uh, that they fared much better than those who were just pessimistic and just gave up. And guess what? We are not just offered a little bit of water, a little bit of bread. We're offered living water right now, amen. We're offered the bread of life right now, amen. We feed on Jesus right now and the riches of what he allows and gives us, you know. And right now, the world needs so much hope because right now, I mean, I don't know if you realize, but the world is just dying without hope. You could have food and water, but if you don't have hope, you don't have hope, man, you're a dead man. In fact, according to the CDC, Suicide rates have increased 33% between 1999 and 2019 in 20 years. Now, they'd increased radically from 1950 to 1999. Then from 1999 to 2019, they increased 33%. I read an article in Psychology Today, uh, and I'm not, uh, as you know, a proponent of psychology, it's suk a cost to study the soul. Uh, I'm not saying there's not psychological studies that are beneficial. If you look at how people work under these kinds of lights versus fluorescent lights, there's some science there, right? But I'm not a fan of psychology telling us how, what our morals should be and how we ought to live life and defining who we are because they don't in- even get it. It's like somebody in a box trying to describe how to live in the box when they don't understand what's outside the box and how to communicate with the person outside the box, so to speak. And the other world, they don't even understand. So, so But I like, to, I like to check out what the world says and contrast it with Christ. I've done a lot of messages in the past where I've touched on uh, psychology versus the Bible and so forth. In fact, I think I did a message some years ago called psycho You want to check out where I look at all kinds of studies and contrast them with what the Bible says. In fact, one study showed that uh, that that psychologists have... The same record of getting people better as witch doctors, but the witch doctors were cheaper. Okay, and by the way, you don't want to go to a witch doctor either. Go to Jesus, Amen. Because Jesus has a one hundred percent success rate of those who truly embrace Him through faith and continue to trust Him, Amen. But in this, this was March eleventh, two thousand twenty-two. An article by Nancy Collier, and she's with she's uh, a psychotherapist and an interfaith minister. Which is interesting. And she was dealing with the suicide rate. And, you know, a lot of these people have great intentions, but they often can lead you, don't lead you ultimately to the best answer. And the beginning of the article states this, and I read this today. I read uh, pretty much the whole article. I skipped a few lines here and there as I perused it. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, recently reported a startling statistic on teen suicide. Emergency room visits for attempted suicide among teenager girls were up 51.6% in the first months of 2021 as compared to 2019. That amazing? So what's going on? She writes. And more to the point, what is going terribly wrong for our children? This is sad, guys. Okay? This is heartbreaking. What's creating such a level of suffering that suicide is seen as a potential solution? And she suggests a theory here and there, and she, but then she says, I don't want to use this space to posit theories on why uh, we're where we're at today, or where we are today. Rather, I want to offer whatever I can to help. So she really is talking about theories and not really, you know, maybe it's because people aren't, you know, uh, the social breakdown because of social media and so forth. And, and I believe that she makes some good points that we would probably agree with. Say, yeah, especially as Christians, because as believers, we know how important it is to be together, amen? And, and to have a communion of brothers and sisters meeting together in Christ, amen? The Bible says not to forsake the assembly of yourself together. Of course, she's not encouraging people to get together and be involved in an evangelical uh, church where they love Jesus and understand he died for them and he's the only way to be saved and so forth. But she really says she doesn't really, can't, you know, really go through the different theories as to what might be happening, which is unfortunate if you know what is going on. A lot of it is because uh, the world is, you know, I mean, people are strangers now, right? People don't know who each other are, you know? Facebook's become this kind of competition for a lot of young people, and kids get ridiculed and everything else. But ultimately, uh, what she doesn't address is the influence of of a lot of the evil music and the evil media and the media that glorifies death that women, that young girls hear constantly. I mean, Billie Eilish, many of you know, is probably the most popular female artist the last couple years, and she has songs where she simulates a video slitting her throat, glorifying suicide. You know, one song she jumps off a building because and she's a, it's, a, it's basically a song to her boyfriend and she kills herself, and at the end of the song you hear is coming. And she's Billy Eilish, so she's pretty cool, you know. And she's glorifying suicide. So I wish she would have, you know, we need to address those things as Christians. What is influencing our young people today? Amen. What messages are we letting them get in their hearts? Because the Bible says we're supposed to teach one another with what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Amen. You guys are quoting it. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Teach? Yeah, we teach through music. Amen. Amen. Well, Satan teaches through music, too. He glorifies, he comes to still kill and destroy, so he glorifies death. So that's very, very important that we get that. If you have children, I really encourage you, don't let them just watch and listen to anything that comes on the television. You might as well give them a loaded gun and let them play with it. Spiritually speaking, that's what you're doing, okay? Because if they just can watch and look at anything, they're being corrupted, there's millions of young people have been introduced to perverse sexuality through internet porn. No doubt about it. Their parents would never know, and they don't understand why their kid becomes a sexual pervert. Oh yeah, kids and people, they grow, they go through puberty, and they have desires, and, and the enemy doesn't even need the internet and music and Hollywood because Satan's a tempter, right? But when he has access to those things, they make those things seem acceptable, right? And desensitizes to them to right and wrong. And objectifies girls and women as though they're slabs of meat that could be had and taken advantage of and not persons made in the image of God Guess what? You're going to have life cheapened. And when you teach us, and when you teach in the government schools that we are the byproduct of slime, that we've all evolved out of nothing, basically, which became slime eventually, and then became animals, and that we're just basically animals, and that we're not in the image of God, don't freak out when kids act like animals. That's what you've been teaching them they are. Okay? So when kids don't know where they come, have come from, I mean, right now, there's a Supreme Court nominee who was asked... I mean, there's a lot of weird things going on, but the sentences, and this is the one who's up for the Supreme Court right now, gave out all kinds of sentences, basically were slaps in the hands for pedophiles, you know, and she called one or more of the people that she put, put away as a defendant, her victims, pedophiles, or those holding, I'm sorry, not just pedophiles, but maybe, or would be very strongly, potentially pedophiles, people that not just pedophiles, but those that uh, have uh, you know, thousands of pieces of, of, of child porn on their internets. She gave them slaps on the hands. But then she was asked today if she could define what a woman is. And, she's, uh, and, uh, and she never gave a definition. She couldn't really define what a woman is. And these are the people that are going to sit in our Supreme Court. And when you can't tell a gal who she is, that she was made in the image of God. And that he made us male and female, amen? He made us one of the purposes to procreate, amen? But even procreation in of itself, guess what? Women that don't procreate. I mean, Bible, Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 7, if you're a Christian woman and you have the gift of singleness, and you don't even get married, that's even better than being married. So the fact that you're made in the image of God, amen, is incredibly beautiful. Male and female, we both reflect his image, Males reflect God's image in, in a beautiful way. Females reflect his image in another beautiful way. Amen. And together they complement one another. And the two become one flesh. And they're a picture of Christ and his church and his plan. And his purpose is forever. Eternity in the new heaven, new earth with Christ and his eternal bride. And when you start getting your brain around that, all of a sudden your mind gets out of the gutter. Gets out of the slime. Gets out of the objectification of people as though they're just meat and you start to see, wow, we're creating the image of God. And Paul tells me, in Timothy, God tells us through Timothy, or through Paul to Timothy, to treat your, the women in the church, you know what it says to treat them? As sisters. Not as pieces of meat. Treat the older, you know, uh, you're supposed to treat the, uh, this goes into how you're supposed to treat different people, and you're supposed to treat the women in the church as your sisters. So brothers you supposed to treat the women of the church as your sisters. Amen? And, we, and you have a respect level. I love my natural sisters. Just love them. And then they got saved and just, wow, now I doubly love them, right? But guess what? Before my sisters got saved, I had, was finding, you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord that just, you know, Patty got saved pretty quick. So she was my sister in the Lord pretty quick then Peggy, and then Kathy, and, but my sister, Lord, I love it, man. I have all kinds of sisters, all kinds of brothers, amen, and we, and I could tell you the difference, and, you know, you can ask my grandchildren. They could probably tell you somewhat of the difference between a male and a female, and they could find a gal way better than this proposed Supreme Court justice could, because she couldn't give any answer, and my heart just broke, and I thought, wow, this country is in trouble, man. It's just crazy what's going on, you know? So, uh, and what's interesting is, you know, I mean, we know XX and XY chromosomes were made different biologically. And she said, I don't know what a woman is. I'm not a biologist. You don't need to be a biologist to know what a woman is. Amen? And how can you, how can you protect women if you can't even define them? You know? So, But this author of this psychological study, or not psychological study, of this article in psychology today, uh, when it comes to giving an answer, you know, she writes, quote, they're growing up, speaking of young girls, these girls where the suicide rate's gone up, you know, 50% in the last so many, uh, 50% in the first few months of 2021 versus 2019. She says they're growing up in a world where we talk about the end of the inhabitable world. When did Cortez Cassio Cortez say the end was going to happen because of climate change. What year did she pick? It's a 2020 something, you know, some ridiculous number. She says it's scary and chaotic place in which to become a person. Fear and hopelessness are fear and hopelessness are just part of their lived experience and she's right. They're seeing, they're hearing, you know, the world's in chaos and everything else and uh, they don't have hope. But unfortunately, she doesn't really understand the, the root problems of what's going on, that we have a fallen nature, that we need a savior, amen, that we're guilty, we need to be declared non-condemned because of the blood of Christ, amen. We need to have the Holy Spirit in us to help us overcome our sinful nature, amen. And we have to have the scriptures, the light of God's word, the person of Jesus Christ, to know that there's life beyond the grave and that we have hope beyond this world and that we have purpose in this world because we have a God that made us to serve him and to make him known and to love him, amen. And she's not, she's not sharing this with them. I love what God told those who were in captivity in Babylon in Jeremiah chapter 29. They had been taken captive because of their rebellion against God, but he was disciplining them. He was going to bring them back into their own land. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a what? A future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Amen. Doug wrote a song based on that scripture right there when he was passing out Christmas cards to a a, a guy, and he, he just was looking at that scripture, and a melody came to his heart, and that's on our Lead Me to the Rock album, which, by the way, Doug, we're gonna make that free pretty soon, so you can just go drive in your car, say, Siri, play me the Lead Me to the Rock album. You know, I don't know if she'll play the whole album, but you can say Songs from Lead Me the Rock, uh, and you'll get a lot of it, hopefully. Proverbs 31.25. This is a woman who won't commit suicide because she writes, or she's, it says of her strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. The world can't smile at the future because they don't have any hope in the future. What's their hope beyond the grave? They're all like just looking at death. We have hope, Amen. And we need to share the hope with our children. And we need to recognize that Satan's going to worm his way in. He's going to tempt them. He's going to try to capture them. He's going to try to bring them captive. But you've got to be sober and be vigilant and ever vigilant as you protect your children. Even when you protect them, he's going to still get in at times. So you need to make sure you're constantly encouraging them. You need to see where they're at, what they're doing on social media, who they're communicating with. Watch out for peer pressure. The Bible says one sinner can cause much harm. One bill the can cause thousands of girls to just destroy themselves. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. So we need to keep hope alive by pointing them to Jesus and making, it, it says if you hang out with a fool, you'll be a fool like, like the person you hang out with in the Bible. That's very, very important. See, hope is part of the essence of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance. Not this kind of feeble little, you know, worldly hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Catch that? We have the assurance of things hoped for. So biblical hope is defined as having an assurance attached to it. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He goes on to say that the things that are made, physical matter, are made with things that we can't see. By the way, When that's written in Hebrews chapter 11, the first couple verses, that the things that are seen are made by things that are unseen, that's before science realized that we're made of atoms, right? Protons, neutrons, electrons, and the things that make up those, and they're invisible to the eye. But, uh, so faith is amazing, and Jesus is our hope. So what's our hope as Christians? Let me give you a few scriptures. The appearing of Jesus Christ, Titus 2.13. The redemption of our bodies is called the hope. Romans eight twenty three, the end of the ages, uh, and the consummation of our righteousness. Galatians five five. Sharing the glory of God, Romans five two, inheriting eternal life, Titus one two, and Titus three seven. Okay. So we have this wonderful, this awesome, wonderful hope. In fact, I was looking at a, a study, the American Heart Association. Uh, uh, did an interesting study. It was was published in the, uh, the the results were published in the Chicago Tribune. And Susan Everson of the Human Population Laboratory the Public Health Institute of Berkeley, California, found that people who experienced high levels of despair, those who had a lot of hopelessness and despair, uh, they had 20% greater occurrence of the narrowing of their arteries than did people that had hope and were optimistic about the future. Quote, this is the same magnitude of increased risk that one sees in, compare, in comparing a, in, in a pack-a-day smoker to a non-smoker, said Everson. So it's interesting, being hopeless and having despair is like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day to your arteries in many cases. We need hope. In the midst of this world going nuts, we look around as believers and we see what's going on, and we should grow in hope because the Bible says, God's word says, these things would happen. When we look at the gender dysphoria, we look at the, uh, we look at the confusion, we look at how it's becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah, that's what it said. Jesus said it would be like that days a lot, right? Right? We look at the violence that's increasing. Jesus said it would be like the days of Noah, and there was great violence in the earth, and that lawlessness would increase. We look at globalism. We hear our president talk about how we're going to lead the new world order. Yeah, the Bible talks about a new world order. Yeah, it does. Yep. Yeah. When we see persecution of Christians in the name of Jesus Christ as a cuss word, yeah, Jesus said we'd be hated because of his namesake, amen. When we see world missions that were spreading the gospel throughout the world and we continue to reach more and more people, yeah, we, we see that too because Jesus said the gospel that he was sharing with a small group of people would spread throughout the entire world, amen. And we're seeing all these things come to pass, Jesus Jesus had prophesied. So we have to see these things going on. It breaks our hearts. At one moment, we could be weeping over what's going on to a lot of people that are, you know, innocent people, kids and so forth in the Ukraine and, and so forth. Uh, Russian kids being sent to their deaths, you know. These things break our hearts, but at the same time, we don't lose hope. Because we recognize that there is hope beyond the grave. We just hope that many will, as many as possible find the hope that we have in Christ before it's too late. One of the pieces of armor that we read about in the scripture. Remember it says, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And that we rest not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. It goes on to say, Because of this, or therefore, put on the whole armor of God, that you may stand against the wiles of the devil in the evil day. Amen. He mentions a different piece of armor, the sword of the spirit, right, which is the word of God, the, the shield of faith, that you can quench the fiery darts of the evil one, right? The breastplate of righteousness, you know, the feet shot of the preparation of the gospel of peace, a belt of truth, and so all these wonderful you know, pieces of armor to protect us from Satan's assaults but one thing he mentions there at the end of the list is the helmet of salvation amen the helmet of salvation because as Christians we can be care we need to be careful because we can tend to worry we can tend to have despair and when we get our eyes off of the Lord remember Peter started to walk on water when did he start to sink He took his eyes off of Jesus and put him on the waves. Amen. And the Bible says that the wicked are like the waves of the sea kicking up dirt. And it says in that same passage, two times in Isaiah, it talks about there's no peace to the wicked. And when we look at the, the world and the world system is called the sea, you know, the sea, is like the sea of people, you know, the sea of people. It's like Led Zeppelin had a song called The Ocean. And Robert Plant was singing about hearing the oceans roar. In the interview, who's the ocean? What's the ocean? The ocean's all these fans, these Led Zeppelin fans at concerts are just roaring. And, and yeah, well, guess what? Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's guiding this, the world's population and uh, leading them the wrong way. And then we look at what's going on, and then we get our eyes on the world and see what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. We start to panic. We start to sink. You should, we need to make sure we keep our eye on Jesus. Amen. We need to know what's going on. We say, mm, what does he say about this? Does it say something specific about what's going on there? Or is it more general? There'll be wars and rumors of wars. That's part of it too, amen? amen. Or is it simply a, a part of fallen man? Or does it fit into the prop- prophetic uh, landscape as to what God says would happen in the future more specifically? And we're looking at that on uh, Sundays recently. Now, it's interesting because we have one piece of armor, and this is a critical piece of armor that you need so you can survive uh, these coming days when things are getting uglier, okay? And if they were needed in the first century, these pieces of armor, how much more are they needed today? As things get darker. And Jesus said, lawlessness would increase and evil men would wax worse and worse and the love of many would grow cold and Paul said terrible times would come, on and on. We need to have the helmet on. And he calls it the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, uh, for Ephesians chapter six, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What is, hmm, I taught this before, uh, but it's good to go over again if you've heard it. And if you haven't, you're gonna learn something I think very, very precious for your walk with Jesus. What is the helmet of salvation? What is the helmet of salvation? Uh, Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. If you're in Timothy, take a hike, just go to your left couple books. 1st Timothy, 1st Thessalonians chapter 4. He's talking about Christ's second coming. Our ca- being caught up to meet him in the air. Those who are alive, those who are dead in Christ will rise first, right, at his coming. And then we who are alive and remain or survive, that Greek word can be translated survive. we caught up to meet him them in the air. Amen. That's 1st Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. Then in chapter 5 of 1st Thessalonians, he goes on to say, there was no chapter breaks in the original letter, obviously. Now, as the times and epochs, brethren, times and epochs, does he say that out of nowhere, no. He's been talking about the timing of the rapture, Christ's second coming. In verses, four, of verses 13 through 18, saying, comfort one another with these words, okay? And he's talking about this hope that we have of Christ's return. In fact, he calls it a hope, okay? In fact, look at verse 13 of chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, meaning those who have died in the faith, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who what? Have no hope. Because the world has no hope. And even the world, when someone dies, they just fling out a hope. Well, maybe we'll see them in heaven or, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe there's a heaven. They don't know. It's an uncertainty. So they don't have any real hope to anchor them. And we're not supposed to grieve when a believer dies. Because in the way the world does. doesn't say we don't grieve. Some people misread that. doesn't say don't grieve, period. It says we not grieve like the world grieves. We grieve, we hurt, we can have more tears in the world even. But we don't grieve the way the world grieves, amen? Now check this out. And this is very encouraging because he goes on to talk about the resurrection. But then in chapter 5, we read this. Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need anything be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a what? Thief in, thief in the night, amen? Thief in the night. That's what Jesus taught, amen? He says, be ready when he comes. While they are saying what? Peace and safety, because during the tribulation period, they'll be saying, who can make war with the Antichrist, right? They'll be saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. It's talking about his second coming, coming like a thief in the night, boom, It's destructive. It's not a secret rapture, you know. It's destruction coming upon the wicked, the day of the Lord. Verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We uh, We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So as believers, we're not supposed to be getting drunk. Amen. We don't want to be asleep. Remember the virgins that were asleep and woke up and five of them had no oil left? We want to stay awake in Jesus. Amen. Be children of the day, not of the night. Verse 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, Have you put on the breastplate of faith. Have you put on what? The breastplate, the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, What? The hope of salvation. There it is. Oh, yeah. Amen, Israel. Put it on his helmet. We know the helmet is called the helmet of salvation. But here it's called what? The hope, the hope of salvation. The salvation. Now, Paul, in Romans chapter 8, he says a hope isn't a hope if it's already been attained. But it's a hope because it's what we expect in the future. I'm paraphrasing Romans 8. So the hope of salvation. Now, we already have salvation in Christ. Amen. If you're trusting Jesus, you have eternal life. You die today. You're trusting Jesus. After the body is present with the Lord. Amen. But when he's talking about the hope of salvation, what aspect of our salvation is he talking about? Our future salvation. Amen. Which comes when who comes? Jesus comes. The Bible says our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Amen. Jesus says he that endures the end will be saved at his second coming. When he comes back, we'll receive new bodies and we'll be glorified. Amen. It's very important that we understand says, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's pointing out a man once to die, but after this a judgment. And he, verse twenty eight says he appeared a first time in reference to our sin, to die for us, amen. But in the second time, he'll return in reference to our salvation, amen. So we're looking to Jesus because we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, and it talks about, right, God, our Savior, right? And Jesus Christ, who is our what? hope, amen. He is our hope, amen. So my helmet is my hope in Jesus, not just now, but my hope that he's coming again, amen. And that for, for, for when these things are going down and the world's getting ugly and people are in hopelessness and despair, I look at these things and I say, no, Jesus is coming back, amen. amen. And the consummation of my salvation, my glorification is coming because these things are signposts to show me that I'm getting closer and closer to my Lord's return, amen. And that he's getting closer and closer to coming and guess what? That keeps your chin up that keeps you excited because you're like, praise Lord, Jesus is coming. Amen. It's going to have happening just as he said, therefore, we do not grovel in hopelessness and despair because we look to Jesus. Now, if you don't look to Jesus, if you don't look to his word, if you don't look to the prophecies, if you don't look to his instruction and you look inward and you look, you know, self-word, you're going to have hopelessness and despair. Because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if you're focusing inward, you're going to have anxiety. You're going to have depression. You're going to have sadness. Because guess what? You're not the hope. If you look to any man, if you look to your pastor, if you look to the person next to you, if you look to anybody for, as your hope, you are going to be let down radically. Because there is only one Savior. Amen? Amen. God is our Savior. Amen? Amen? And it's important that we get that. We look to him. Ooh, and look at verse nine, very next verse. Ooh, nice. For God has not destined us for what? Wrath. What's he talking about? Not just for wrath. We're not of the day. We don't get that sudden destruction when he comes like a thief, amen? We are Christians. We put our trust in Jesus. For God has not destined us for wrath because he's coming, right? Like a thief. Look at verse four and five. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining what? Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about our final salvation, to obtain the salvation that Jesus is coming, coming with. Amen? And I believe by just emphasizing that we've been saved, you miss out on the joy of the blessed hope and the fact that we should be focusing on Jesus' return. Very few people preach on Christ's second coming anymore. God forbid that we wouldn't. The name of our fellowship is called Blessed Hope Chapel. Amen? You Amen. Absolutely. So we, he is our hope. So what is the helmet of salvation? Our hope in Christ and his what? Second coming, amen. And this is huge. This is huge. How huge is it? Well, guess what? The world doesn't have the hope of Christ's second coming. So when they see these things and things get worse and worse, what was happening when the ship was destroyed and it was going down and it was just, there was no stars, they couldn't see the stars and the moon and at daytime they couldn't see the sun They were gradually losing what? Hope. Hope. What's the world going to be like in the last days? They aren't going to be able to see the sun and the stars and the moon. And it will get darker and darker. And listen to what Jesus said about the end times. See how this is getting tied together now? There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. When you revelation, the sky will be blotted out a third of the sky, you know, You'll be able to see a third of the stars at one point. Another point, it's just all darkness. At the very end, Revelation chapter 16, when the bowls are being poured out at the end, it's just thick dark, as a darkness that uh, in the beast kingdom, and they gnaw their, their tongues and they blaspheme God because of the plagues. And it says this, verse 26 Men's, men fainting from fear and expectation of the things which are coming on the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken people are going to be fainting, passing out. As one translation, I think it's King James says, men's hearts failing them for fear of things coming on the earth. That's because they have, don't have the helmet of salvation on. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, talking about the same, same teaching, Matthew says the tribes of the earth will mourn. See, they look at these signposts as signposts toward wrath, destruction, hell, damnation because they don't have the helmet of salvation. We aren't appointed to wrath, amen? amen? We're appointed to salvation. So Jesus says to us, verse 28, but when these things begin to take place, when they begin to take place, even the birth pains, because he talked about the birth pains earlier, beginning of sorrows, he called it. But when these things begin to take place, straight up, lift up your heads, right? Because your redemption is drawing near. That's the helmet of salvation. That's the helmet of salvation. It's like the Proverbs 31 woman, she could smile at the future, amen. amen? Because God wasn't leaving her in Babylon, right? Amen. God wasn't leaving the Jews in Babylon. God's not leaving us in Babylon. He doesn't pr- promise us, he doesn't give us calamity. He promises a hope in a future, amen? you know, in every 20 New Testament passages, every 20 New Testament passages, one in every 20 New Testament passages refers to the second coming of Christ, isn't that amazing? That's, that's the blessed hope. Look at Titus. Go to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Here's where it calls it the blessed hope. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness. So God's grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. So we're denying and we're living sensibly righteously and godly in the present age, looking, now we're looking for something, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself, verse 14, for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. Praise God. Zealous for good deeds. God wants you to be zealous to do good things, man. Are you zealous for doing, for serving God? Look what Jesus did. We ought to be. And I praise God, man, because go to Hebrews chapter 6. Did you know the hope that you have? The world is adrift right now. Would you agree? I mean, people are not anchored. They're untethered. It's just messed up. People don't have a foundation. The Bible says, if the foundations are gone, how shall the righteous stand? Amen. Well, praise God. We have an anchor, amen, in Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, this hope we have. We have this hope in Jesus, amen? This hope we have as what? An anchor for the soul. Sadly, when I was reading that Psychology Today article, it wasn't able to offer an anchor for the soul. It didn't even talk about the soul. It didn't even talk about the spiritual life. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. That means into God's presence in the heavenly kingdom. And it's awesome because verse 20 says, here Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. He's a forerunner, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now when there is a forerunner, that means there are afterrunners, okay? Amen? We're the afterrunners, amen? He's gone before us. It's actually a military term and he's gone there first. He, he's paved the way, he paid the way. And praise God for what he's done. Uh, for us in, in doing this, I was reading a, a, a story that came from Parade Magazine of a, mil- a self-made millionaire named Eugene Land, and he uh, was speaking to 59 sixth graders, and he scrapped his notes, and he told them, "Don't drop out of school." He just spoke from the heart, "Don't drop out of school. Stay in school." And then he decided. He said, "I'll pay every one of your college tuition if you stay in school." Well. This group of 59 sixth graders in the area that they lived in, uh, they basically had a huge dropout rate. Over 90% of these kids uh, went through college and graduated. And he said, and I'll help pay the college tuition to every one of you. I don't know how much his help uh, was, but I had something to look forward to, one of the kids said. Something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling I'm sorry, I wasn't over, it was nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school, okay, to go into college. And that was like a remarkable number. It's because they had hope. Somebody cared and someone said they'd help pay the way. Well, guess what? Someone for us cares far more. and He doesn't help pay the way. He pays the whole way, amen? And he's our forerunner and he's gone before us and we look to Jesus and we fight the good fight of faith and we lay hold on eternal life, 1 Timothy six twelve. So I just think it's amazing that... The, the, the opportunity we have. He's an anchor for our soul. Amen. There's a song that was written some years ago, a contemporary Christian song at the time. Uh, when it was written, it was like very popular. I have journeyed, it's called My Anchor Holds. I have journeyed through long dark night out on the open sea by faith alone, sight unknown, and yet eyes were watching me. The anchor holds. Through the shi- Though the ship is battled, the anchor holds. Though the sails are torn, I have fallen on my knees. As I face the raging seas, the anchor holds. In spite of the storm, I've had visions. I've had dreams. I've held them in my hand. But I never knew they would slip right through like they were only grains of sand. The anchor holds. Through the sh- though the ship is battered, the anchor holds. Though the sails are torn, I've fallen on my knees. I have faced the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. And now that song... It's talking about that ship that is us, that we could be messed up, we could battered and everything else, and it holds. And the thing about an anchor, when it hooks into the ocean floor, man, it can hold a big old ship, you know, from drifting away. And the point is, though, when there's an anchor, think about this, though. It needs to be held from two ends, right? two ends. Sadly, Ray Boltz, who wrote that song, he wrote a song called Thank You. Uh, that was super popular. Won the Dove Award when it first came out. He wrote, a ple- he pledged his allegiance to the Lamb. That won some Dove Award too. And then, you know, he won these awards and everything. And then he had four children in 2004, I think it was, was his last Christian tour. 2005, he left his wife. Divorced her. Divorce was final in 2008 sometime later he married his he married his talent agent which was another man okay and had abandoned the faith as we understand god's word he definitely abandoned the faith and he's the one that wrote that song so the anchor holds no doubt and and guess what there's a danger of the anchor slipping in the ocean it's not going to slip in heaven God's promises are yes and amen to those who believe, amen. But we're called to hold on to our faith in Hebrews 2 as well. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, he warns very clearly that uh, we're not to drift away. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention so that we to what we've heard. That's God's word. So that we don't drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression of disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Amen. So his anchor is steady, man. We can have hope. The question is, are we holding on to him? In fact, Hebrews 3.6 says, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. He's the anchor that holds. And we are his house if we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope of which we boast. We must hold on to our hope. Amen. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. Hebrews three fourteen. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, uh, uh, to the end, the assurance that we had at first. The faith you had at first, continue to hold on to Jesus. In Colossians 1:21, he talks about how God's going to present us, amen, before the Lord. It's just like in Jude 24. I love Jude verse 24. He's able to keep us, right? Standing and present us before the Lord, amen. But he keeps us. He's able to present us. He is able. He gives us his word. Just trust him. But in verse 20, he says, "Keep yourselves in the love of God." He's able to keep, but you must also continue to look to him. Amen? And Colossians says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, that's when we didn't have hope, right? Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He's able to do that. Amen? Verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which for I, Paul, was made a minister. Amen? So we need to continue to open Jesus. Amen? Amen. We need to continue to look to him. He's done everything. He paid the way. We can't pay one drop of blood, right, toward our salvation. He's already paid. The question is, will you look to him in faith? Will you look to Jesus? Will you look to him and in the hope of the resurrection? His anchor is steady. It's strong. It's not on the ocean floor. It's at the heavenly throne. And his name is Jesus. Amen. He's immovable. His kingdom is immovable. You know, the early Christians, they met sometimes in the catacombs, okay? And we know that because I've been to the catacombs. They have some areas that are made very, very big around certain believers' tombs who were martyred for the faith. Some believe they hid down in those catacombs. Some dispute that. I don't know how you can dispute it and say it didn't happen because it probably happened quite a bit. Uh, you wouldn't be able to say you'd have to find something where they had like video that said, so no one hiding there. But when you looked, it's interesting. You weren't allowed to use the cross, Christians, at certain periods in the Roman Empire because that was supposed to be something deadly. And But Christians celebrated that Jesus died on the cross. So Christians in the catacombs, and we've seen these when we're down there, to, to put the cross on the tombs of believers because Romans would burn their their, their dead, right? Christians buried them because of their strong belief in resurrection. So they had hundreds of miles of catacombs that the Christians had dug through. I mean, you go to Rome and there it is. So we went and walked through the catacombs. You go down, you go through these tunnels. It's amazing. And you see these crosses, but these crosses are in the form of anchors because you could draw an anchor, you just couldn't draw a cross. And they snuck the cross in in the form of an anchor because the anchor became a very, very important symbol for Christians. Amen. And we are anchored in Christ. And the beauty, you guys, the, very, the beauty of this, and this is so beautiful, is that even when we die, his anchor is steadfast, amen? Because in Romans 8, for the believer, for the faithful, verses 35 through 39, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, martyrdom, just as as it is written for your sake we are being put to death all day long we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered but in all these things but in all these things getting killed wiped out persecuted all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing nor height nor what depth nor any other created thing that's powerful. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And man, we're anchored in Christ through faith, amen? It's like, didn't you just use that passage last Sunday? Yeah, I love it. Use it again. It's very, very good, amen? So uh, I want to close with one scripture, 1 Timothy 4.10. I might mention another one, but the last one we want to go to, 1 Timothy 4.10. Now, 1 Timothy 1.1, we've looked at already, amen? And we focused on the hope that we have. And God is our Savior, amen, it says. And Jesus Christ is our hope. Well, look at 410. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope. We have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of who? All men. Especially who? Of believers. How is he a Savior of all men, but especially of believers? Think about it. He's the Savior of all men, though, but especially of believers. He's the Savior of all men because he died for everyone. He provides salvation for everyone, amen? But only those who put their trust in him will actually be saved. Just like the Passover lambs, they were killed, but you had to apply that blood to your doorpost, amen? If you refused to apply the blood to your doorpost, you'd be destroyed still, even though the lamb was bleeding in your yard. He's the Savior of all men. He died for the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he's the Savior of all men. He provides salvation for everybody through his sacrifice. But his sacrifice is not efficacious until what? You put your faith in Christ. And some confuse the payment with the application. But even my Calvinistic brothers and sisters will often admit I'll say, well, were you saved? Born saved, you know? You weren't saved until you put your faith in Jesus. So what he did on the cross is not efficacious until you come to him in faith, amen? That's reality. But praise God, we have a God who's the savior of all men in the sense that he gave himself for everybody. And that's the hope we get to share with the world, that he died for everybody, that he rose again and conquered the grave, and that we can all be saved through faith in him, amen? So we've looked at 1 Timothy 1.1. Did we have a good start to the book? Amen. Praise God. Let us all please stand. What an awesome God we have. I was dealing with a little bit of anxiety, and they don't go to the Blessed Hope, but they're just sweet girls, and uh, doing a little worry, you know, things crazy, things going on in the world. And I, I took her to Lamentations chapter 3, and I let her know that this passage helped me, helps me so much. And I love it because their Lamentations means crying, weeping, right? And that Jeremiah writes that, right? People are in Babylon, feels like his teeth have been kicked in. He's eating gravel, eating the dirt, you know. He's talking about how he's, you know, just, you know, filled with wormwood. Like he's eating wormwood, bitterness, bitter, bitter plant. All this hopelessness and despair, it looks like. And then he says, I recall to mind what the Lord has done, right? Of course, recalls to mind the Lord's promises. And that's by his mercy that we're not consumed every morning, amen? That every morning His mercy's there for us, guys. Amen. Amen. And that great is Thy faithfulness, Amen. Yep. And I told her about that dream I had when I had COVID. and I was supposed to die. The doctor, my the cardiologist, said you won't, you won't, you won't survive, right? And you know, a week later or a couple weeks later, I'm being told that I can't even probably give you another cardiac, uh, you know, echocardiogram because your heart's so good the insurance won't pay for it. And then I realize what happened. Well, we know what happened. Amen. And if the Lord would take me, praise God, because I was quoting that verse too, that says my heart may fail me but what the Lord is my, my Yeah, the Lord is the strength of my heart, right? He, he's he's our dwelling place forever. Amen. We're going to be his forever. That will go and he'll, he's my portion forever, right? He's going to he he he's our hope. But I was sharing with her that he recalled the mind Jeremiah and he said therefore I for great as I faithfully says therefore I have hope. Amen? Yep. Oh, and I asked her a question. I'll ask you the same question. And just shout it out. What's your, uh, well, first of all, you know, if there was a guy that came in here right now, and he's dressed in a militant uniform, right? And he had an Uzi, right? And he just started spraying bullets everywhere. Okay, now stop thinking about that guy. Stop thinking about him. Stop thinking about him. Okay, now, how many of you are saying, well, it's kind of hard, you just talked about him. Okay, now I have another question for you. What is your, let's say you haven't eaten yet, okay? Just shout it out, what's your favorite thing to eat, your favorite meal? Word of God God over here, what's that? Physical food. What's your favorite physical food? I love tacos, man. Tacos. So Israel, when you're thinking about those tacos, are you thinking about that guy coming in at the same time? Not really, really, because you're thinking of tacos, right? Yeah, Yeah, I'd rather think of tacos too. And by the way, that guy can't end our lives. He can end our bodies, but not our spiritual life. Ask for the presence of the Lord. Amen. Don't fear what man can do to you. Amen. The thing, and that's, that's a little tiny exercise, but that's not what I do. I don't say, hey, think about tacos, young lady. No. Think about Jesus. Jesus. Think about, as you said, Joseph, your favorite meal is the word of God. Amen. Keep your mind fixed on Jesus. Keep your mind fixed on him. That's the, our anchor. He is our helmet. Hope is a helmet. Hope is an anchor. Amen. We need a helmet in this world. Amen. Jesus. We need an anchor. Amen. In the heavenly kingdom. Who's that? Jesus. He's our hope. Amen. We'll get through all this ugliness that's going on. Keep your faith in Jesus. Just keep looking to him. And when the waves get big, say, ah, that just means I need to look to Jesus all the more. And to pray for others who are being engulfed in those waves, who don't have hope, because I'm an ambassador to let them know the forerunners come in and the afterrunners are coming after him. And guess what? You could have this hope too. I'm an ambassador for Jesus because he's the savior of all men, but especially of those who believe. Amen. So, amen. Give glory to God. He is an awesome God. We love you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah.